Open your Bibles with me to Micah. I'll give you a minute to get there in the Old Testament. It's right after Jonah, Jonah Micah, Micah chapter 5. I want to talk to you this morning about salvation. You know, the Bible has much to say about salvation. How does a person come to the place where they are able to know for sure that they're going to go to heaven when they die? How do we know that? I was thinking about this for, for these people that we're praying for, these ladies that we're praying for right now. All of them know Christ as their Savior. So even though this is a sad time, it's, it's not the same. The Bible tells us to sorrow not as those which have no hope, because we have hope of seeing them again. Isn't that wonderful? Um, Laura had uh, a discussion with a lady who had lost a niece, three years old, and our hope is, the thing that we know from the Word of God is, is, when we lose a child, if you're born again, you can see that child again. That's our hope. Laura and I have Riley, he's in heaven. and You know, I, I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to get to know him. He died when he was four and a half months old. Our hope is that we're going to see that. That's why salvation is so important. It's so important and the Bible, as we saw last week, the Bible says that our salvation is from the Word of God. The Bible tells us how that we can have this hope. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, the Bible says, But thou Bethlehem, who knows what happened in Bethlehem? Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me. That is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from of old, from everlasting. This is talking about Jesus Christ. And yes, Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, but his goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. He doesn't have a beginning. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent throughout all eternity, no beginning, no end. That's God. That's what the eternality of God speaks of. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, can be our Savior because He's the eternal one. He's the one from everlasting. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an origin. He's always been. He didn't begin at Bethlehem and He didn't end at Calvary. That's our Savior. That's the one that came to bring us salvation. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 56. Luke chapter 9, salvation in the Bible. How do we preach it? How do we understand it? What has God said about it? Luke chapter 9, and look at verse 54. And when His disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt Thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? All right, so here's some guys preaching the gospel in a little bit different way than what Jesus had taught them. And these guys are saying, hey, Jesus, let's kill them. <laughs> we were having a conversation before service about what, what do we do in certain situations. I said, you know, I'm preaching on that this morning. I'm going to, one, one of my verses. So as believers, how many of you know that there are people in the world right now that preach a gospel other than the way that God has taught us to do it in the Scriptures. How many of you know that that happens? So let's go kill them. What does Jesus say? What does the Bible says? Verse 55. 
But he turned, this is Jesus, but he turned and rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit you're of. That, that's a that's spirit like the devil that would cause you to do that. Why? Because look at what Jesus came to do. For the Son of Man, see that capitalized as speaking of Jesus, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Don't fight with these people. Jesus Christ said, I came to save people, not to kill people. Isn't that right? Aren't you glad that somebody showed you from the Word of God what the Bible says rather than pulled a gun and said, believe or else? But does any of this, Fallujah, Saudi Arabia, you see the difference between the gospel of Jesus Christ and what goes on in the name of religion around the world? Jesus said, no, I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 11. Matthew 18, Jesus reiterates this truth. Matthew 18, verse 11. Why does he need to save people? Verse 11, Matthew 18, 11, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Why do we need to be saved? Because we're lost. The Bible says we've all gone out of the way. The, the whole world, everybody in the world is lost until they're found. Until they're saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to be saved because we're lost. Now, is there anyone here and you, you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? You know for sure that He's your Savior? You know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die? Anybody here that knows that? Well, you're not lost. You're saved. That's the technical, that's the biblical term. You're saved. So you're either saved or you're lost. And we're not talking about a television show. You're saved or you're lost. Look at John chapter 6 and verse 47. How do you get saved? How does a person get saved? John chapter 6. John 6, verse 47. The Bible says, Verily, verily, that's Jesus Christ, emphasizing, repeating, verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth, do you just have to believe? Or does, or does, there, does there have to be an object of your belief? Who are you supposed to believe on? What does it say? Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. You know, there are a lot of people in the world who believe. They believe in all kinds of things. There are people who believe in Martians and aliens. You know, what was that, that one cult? They all were going to try and kill themselves and kill a bunch of other people because the aliens were coming. Well, they believed they just weren't believing in Jesus Christ. You know, uh, that you see people say that, yeah, I believe. In what? What do you believe in? I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the only way to eternal life. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There has to be an object to our belief. Go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 24. Aren't you glad you have a Bible that you can hold in your hands? There are people in the world right now, you know, when we try to hand out gospel literature, tracts, something that would tell people how to go to heaven, 
Here in America, a lot of times people just take them and throw them down on the ground. Man, when you go to some of these poor countries where they don't have anything, they line up to take them. We're so blessed. I've got ten Bibles, you know. We're so blessed to be able to have the Word of God in our hands. Look what the Bible says in Mark chapter 10. And look at verse 23. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And his disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? You know, you can't trust in Jesus and your money at the same time. You can't do it. And that's a big problem that we have in America because, you know, while we might not say that we're rich, if we compare ourselves to the rest of the world, we are rich. And so it's hard for people, especially people that have built their own business or have earned an education and, and done all of this, it's hard for them to say, well, you mean I can't do it myself? Somebody else has to do it for me? You see, belief is easy. A child can do it. Resting in Jesus Christ, how hard is it to, I don't have a chair up here anymore, but how hard is it to do this? To sit down. That's what salvation is. It's resting in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It, that's not hard. You don't have to work hard to believe. And that's why the Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by His mercy He saved us. Because salvation's not of works. It's hard for people who are trusting in something other than the gospel. But for those of us who are trusting in Jesus Christ, it's not hard. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Why is it so confused? Why has the... Do you all understand that the gospel message has become confused in this world? Why is that? Look at Second Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Salvation's not complicated. It's simple. But the, the, the subtlety of Satan enters in and corrupts the minds of the simple. It corrupts the simplicity of the gospel. Satan doesn't want you to get saved. He doesn't want you to know the truth of his word. Look at uh, Ephesians 1. How, how is this salvation accessed? Look at verse 12. Ephesians 1.12. That we should be to the praise of His glory, this is God, who first trusted in Christ in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So how do you get saved? Well, you trust in Christ. How do you trust in Christ? By hearing the word of God and believing it. But trusting is the same thing as, as resting. It's, it's believing. When you sit down, when you sat down on that pew, I watched a bunch of you. You trusted it. I didn't see anybody looking underneath to see if it would hold you. 
Some of you should have. <laughs> I'm trying to lose it myself. It's not working. None of you checked it out. I was noticing our ushers. Did you all see our ushers? That would be a good line for a football team today. We have some stout guys, and Ed could be the running back. He could run in between the, the big guys. What is trusting? It's just like I demonstrated. It's resting in Jesus Christ. You have to believe it. You have to trust in His message of salvation, the message of the gospel, in order to be saved. Well, what is that? What, what is this message that we have to trust, that we have to rest in? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. What is the message that we must trust in? 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. And notice how, it, how it's transmitted, through preaching. And that's what this is. I'm preaching. Preaching is boldly communicating the truth of the Word of God. That's what preaching is. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also, this gospel, ye are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. So remember what we said, your, your belief has to have an object. Remember Jesus said, if you believe in me, if you believe, if you just believe, then you're believing in nothing. And that's what believing in vain, vanity, uh, someone described it this way, vanity is that of which rocks dream. What do rocks dream about? Nothing. So if you don't believe in anything, you're not going to be saved. But if you believe in the gospel, you will be saved. That's what the Bible says. And what did he say? Look at verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Now look at what it says here. How? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. But notice what it says in verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. And you've got to understand this. How he died is important. He couldn't have drowned. He couldn't have been burned at the stake. He had to go to the cross. He had to be beaten. He had to be spat upon. He had to be mocked. He had to be pierced. All that had to happen because it was prophesied in the Old Testament. The how is vital. The way that he died is vital. And the way that he died was to shed his blood. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. Colossians 1, 14. Isn't it amazing how you can understand these things with almost no commentary, just reading the words? Colossians 1, 14. Talking about Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You see, the how that Christ died for our sins, how He died was very important. He couldn't have drowned. He had to shed His blood on the cross because that forgiveness of sins comes through His shed blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, the Bible says. And so verse 14 is very important. In whom we have redemption, we're redeemed, we have been purchased through His blood, 
Even the forgiveness of sins. That forgiveness of sins comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you glad Jesus Christ shed His blood for you? He did it for you. What a payment. What a sacrifice. That blood was vital. Look at 1 John 1, 7. But it couldn't have just been anybody. You know, all through history, people have died for others. You know, we think of those of our military right now that are, that are dying for us, for liberty. Look at 1 John. None of those people who are dying for me right now as an American could purchase my eternal life. Look at 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Look at what it says. And the blood of Jesus Christ... His Son cleanseth us from all sin. You see, the, it's got to be a certain individual's blood. The blood of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Now remember, Jesus is His name. Christ is His title. Not just anyone could die. It had to be the Jewish Messiah who came into His own and His own received Him not. It had to be Him. That's the one that had to die on the cross whose blood can cleanse us. Not just anyone. It was a specific individual. Look at uh, John 3.16. There's a specific individual who died in a specific way to save anyone who believes in Him. Look at what it says, John 3.16. Anyone ever seen this verse before? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, it had to be a special person. Only one person has been begotten of God. Only one person came directly from the Father to the earth, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one. He's the only begotten Son of God. That's the only one that we can believe in for eternal life. Those words are important. The Bible is so true and familiar to us. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18. That's why we preach this. 1 Corinthians 1.18. Look at what the Bible says. For the preaching of the death, is that what it says? What's it say? The cross. Remember how that Christ died? For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Now, how many of you know that preaching is considered foolishness in our world today? Preaching. Preachers on television are usually an axe murderer. If someone's a preacher, that's the person that's going to be the serial killer. Because preachers are weird. Okay, in my case, that may be true. But the Bible says this is the way that the gospel is to be preached. The cross is to be preached. It's a, it's a method of communication. And that method is foolishness to the world, isn't it? To those that perish. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Is anybody saved here today? Well, this preaching is the power of God. Uh, uh, Matt was just talking to me about hearing about the, hearing a preacher and just the power that was there. Well, only believers understand that power because you've got to be saved. 
You've got to be saved. Then the preaching of the cross is precious. It's powerful. It's not foolishness. But it's the preaching of the cross. That's God's method to get the message across. Then what happens? What happens when a person believes what Christ did on the cross? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you've been here for any length of time, we use this verse all the time because it's so powerful. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For He hath made Him to be sin for us. So God the Father made Jesus Christ to be sin. Jesus Christ was completely sinless. On the cross, God made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus was sinless. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And notice what it says, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. I can't do it. It doesn't say that we can make ourselves righteous. The only way that I can be made righteous is by the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in me. After salvation, He makes us righteous. We can't do it ourselves. Isn't that right? Our whole, our whole study in the book of Galatians is all about that. You're saved by grace, and then you serve God by grace. None of it is of human power. The work is completely of God. So... How does the Bible describe this process of salvation? What picture does the Bible use? Go to Acts chapter 5 and verse 19. Acts chapter 5 and verse 19. I'm sorry, Acts 15, 19. Now, here's what's going on, and we've studied this through our study of Galatians. When the churches were just starting, some people who had been of the Pharisees, the, the most conservative sect of the Jewish religion, some of them had gotten saved, but they wanted to bring the Jewish law into Christianity. So they wanted to make sure that anybody who got saved, they were born again, that they were then circumcised, that they started keeping the, the holy days, that they started living, eating certain things and living a certain way. All right? So now look at what was the decision of the, the disciples who gathered together to make this, to try and understand it. Here's what they said. Here's James. He said, Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. Are turned to God. So here's what salvation is. Here's a lost person. We, we've already seen that everybody that's not saved is what? They're lost. So what the lost person is doing, the Bible says, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. So every man is walking in a way that he thinks will get him either to heaven or to the happy hunting ground or to whatever it is that they believe. Okay? So what, what they're doing is they're walking in a way that they believe is the right way. Salvation is this. It's turning to God from every other way. That's what salvation is. You can't, have, you can't believe in Jesus Christ and be baptized to be saved. You can't believe in Jesus Christ and add good works to be saved. You can't believe in Jesus Christ and add church membership to be saved. No, you've got to turn away from all of that and just come to Jesus Christ. Nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I claim. That's it. 
where you're trusting Him alone. So you're, you're walking a certain way and you learn from the Word of God that this is the wrong way and you turn from that way to God. And these are people that, look at what it says, verse 19. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble them, we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. This is something that happens at a point in time. It's not a process where you begin getting saved, and then if you're good enough over a long period of time, you reject everything else, and at some point you become a child of God. No. You turn from that to this. Jesus says, you're my son. That's the way the Bible describes it over and over and over again. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And then here's what happens. After we're saved and God begins to make us righteous, as we saw in 2 Corinthians 5.21, look at what the Bible says. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. So when a person's, when a person's saved, when, when, when they, they, they've reached that point where they turn from their sin and turn to the Savior, and He, he saves them. When you, when you reach that point, then your life begins to reflect and exude Christ. And it's a sweet savor to those that are saved and to those that are perishing, to those that are perished. Now, I want you to notice something. Look at what it says. Again, verse 15. And unto them that perish. It doesn't say to them that will receive the penalty and they'll be judged that they're going to perish. You're either saved or you're perishing. That's it. You're already condemned if you're not born again. If you're lost, you're condemned. Isn't it wonderful? The Apostle Paul said, we, what does it say? For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. You see, the Bible tells you that you can be saved. You can know for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you have your salvation. It's such a wonderful thing. And when that happens, then your life is changed. How? Not by you. The Holy Spirit of God changes you. And your life, your life is a sweet savor. Now, how many of you have thought, no one ever said I smelled sweet? It's talking about your life, your behavior. God changes you. Isn't that wonderful? How many of you have known somebody that got saved and it was obvious? Right? That's what God does in you when you're saved. Isn't that wonderful? That's the message of salvation in the Word of God. My message today is this. Salvation in the modern versions. Primarily, we're looking at the New International Version. And I want you to see... Now, how many of you, how many of you have seen a clear understanding of the gospel through the Word of God this morning? Very clear, right? How many of you know that there's confusion in the world about the gospel? I want to demonstrate to you why. Micah 5, 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Here's what the New International Version, the most popular version of the Bible on the market today, the NIV, 
it says this, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Did Jesus Christ have an origin in ancient times? No, that's Gnosticism. I don't have time to explain Gnosticism, but that's what it is. And so that's the NIV. You say, well, what about the other translations? The ESV, the RSV, the NASB update. They all have ancient days and origins. The New Living Translation has origins from the distant past. Now, how many of you understand that's different than whose goings forth have been from everlasting? It's just changed. It's changed. The origin of Jesus Christ has changed. Luke 9, 55, But he turned and rebuked to them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. The NIV says, But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. It's just gone. It's just gone. And it's the same in the ESV, RSV, and New Living Testament. What about Matthew 18, 11? For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. How many of you think that's an important message? All right. If you have an NIV, you go from verse 10, see the little footnote? And you go to verse 12. There's no verse, there's no verse 11. It's just gone. ESV, RSV, NAS, NASBU. The ESV and RV, RSV, it's just gone. The New, Internet, the New American Standard Bible has it bracketed and then with a footnote that says this isn't in some manuscripts. What about this, John six forty seven? What's the object of our faith? Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. The NIV says, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. NASBU, ESV, both of those agree with that translation. The object of the belief is just gone. It's just gone. What about Mark ten twenty four? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? NIV says, The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God? And the ESV and the NASB agree with that. Is it hard to enter the kingdom of God? No, you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. It removes the whole meaning of the passage. What about this? Why, is, why does that happen? But I fear, lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Listen to what the NIV says. I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. It doesn't say the same thing. That doesn't even mean the same thing. You're corrupted from the simplicity. Completely different thought. That's why there's so much confusion. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 12, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. We've got to trust in Christ. Amen? What does the NIV say? In order that we who were first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you are marked in Him with a seal, the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit. It doesn't even say the same thing. And I'll tell you what will be interesting in the tribulation period. Anybody that's saved with the false Christ is going to be marked. Nowhere in any Greek manuscript does it tell us as believers that we're going to be marked. Nowhere. Nowhere. 
1 Corinthians 15, 3, For I have delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, NIV. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, not how He died. Not how He died. Why does that become important? Because they take the blood out. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. NIV, Colossians 1.14, In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. How many of you think the blood of Jesus Christ for your salvation is important? You starting to see why there's a little bit of confusion in the world? Look at 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us. It has to be the Jewish Messiah. That's who had to die on the cross for our sins. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Christ is gone. 1 John 3.16, I'm sorry, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. One and only Son? He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But to as many as received Him, to them gave He power to be called the sons of God. The Bible says in Luke chapter 3 that Adam was a son of God. Could Adam have died for our sins? No. Now, how many of you think John 3.16 is an important passage? Seriously. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Look at NIV. For the message of the cross. How many of you understand there's a difference between message and preaching? The word is preaching. It's not message. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, how, many of you, how many of you are being saved? Or are you glad that you are saved? <laughs> I just wish it was visible. Um, <laughs> that was awful, wasn't it? That wasn't, that wasn't nice. <laughs> Phil said, he said, I feel it working on me. I wish it was visible. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Look at what the, uh, oh, I have the, the King, I have the KJB, but this is the NIV. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might, we might become... No, this has to be something that happens to us, not something that we do. Acts fifteen nineteen. Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which are among the Gentiles, uh, which among the Gentiles are turned to God. NIV. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Is it a process, or is it something that happens in a point in time? Do you see how the doctrinal clarity of the gospel? is watered down to fit with any religion in the world, any Christian system in the world. It fits with this kind of teaching. That's why there's so much confusion in the world. 2 Corinthians 2.15 For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. Look at the NIV. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Are being saved... Is it a process or is it something that happens at a point in time? It happens at a point in time. You see, 
the Word of God is so clear, and yet by trying to put it into updated language and make it non-offensive, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of salvation, is clearly undermined in the modern translations. Now, let me tell you this. I said it in Sunday school, and I'll say it here. And I find this with all these different studies. However bad you think it is, it's worse. It is worse. Um, the, the New American Standard Bible, I want to give you an, an example. I mentioned this in my class this morning. The New American Standard Bible is the Bible, and, and what someone might be thinking, because we've looked, at the NAS, or we've looked at the NIV a lot this morning, what someone might be saying is, well, the, the scholars tell us that the NIV is not really for studying. You need to go to the New American Standard Bible for studying. Well, I demonstrated to you that most of the changes on salvation are found in the NASB also. But the NASB was translated and updated from 1960 through 1977. And there are about 10 different copyrights issued because of the changes that were made. Then it was updated after 1977. It was updated again in 1995. So this is, this is not from the original Greek to the, the modern English, okay? This is from 1977 to 1995. Now listen. The 1995 version has 6,996 fewer words than the 77 version. Now, how many of you think maybe those 7,000 words, if they were in the Bible, were important? And if they weren't supposed to be there, why were they in there in 1977? Which was the best Bible, remember? Very interesting. There are changes in 10,616 verses. 24,338 words are changed. 4,704 of those were capitalization, 32 spelling, and 30 italics. This makes 19,572 corrections involving word omissions, word omissions, additions, transpositions, or substitutions to the text of the 1977 New American Standard Bible. Now let me ask you something. Is it logically possible to make 24,338 insignificant changes in anything? How do you trust the Bible? How many of you ever had someone say this to you? How do we know what God says? There are so many different translations. How many of you ever heard somebody say that? Well, we do know. He preserved His Word in many different sources, and then it was translated accurately into the King James Bible. The reason that these other Bibles say different things is because they're not translated from the same text that your Bible has been translated from. It's different. We're going to look at that next week. We're going to study preservation and try to help us understand where did God preserve His Word? How can we know that? How can we rest in it? How can we trust it? But I can tell you this. If you've wondered why there's so much confusion about salvation in the world, it's because of the confusion that's been introduced into the Bible text and into the modern translations in the last hundred years. As of 10 years ago, there were 150 copyrights issued on the text of the Bible. 150 different texts all claiming to be the Bible. Can two things, or can 150 things that claim to be the Word of God, 
and say different things, enough different things for a copyright. You understand that to have a copyright, there have to be so many different changes in it. If there are enough changes for 150 different translations, can they all be the Word of God? You see, what Satan has done a good job of is telling people that the words aren't important. What did Jesus Christ say? If you love me, keep my words. If you love me, keep my words. The church at Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3, the Bible says, Because thou hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Not keeping his word is the same thing as denying his name. If we keep his word, we keep his name. Folks, we as believers, those of us who love God, love the Lord Jesus Christ, love the word of God, we must understand that it's been changed. But he has preserved it. And in the English language, we can hold it in our hands in this King James Bible. I hope that you'll rest in that. Now, I'm going to say one last thing and then we'll be done. Very simple. How many of you know people who love the Lord Jesus Christ, they're born again, who use a different translation of the Bible? They do love God. If they've placed their faith and trust in Christ alone, they are born again. Isn't that right? Uh, There are preachers who preach from other translations of the Bible. The simple fact of the matter is, almost none of them have ever looked at this subject. I know, I've talked to many of them. They do not know about this. And again, Satan's done a good job of hiding the truth. Look with me as we close. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 8. In verse 20. Look at verse 19. This would be a humorous context for our day. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep, and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God, for the living to the dead, to the law, and to the testimony? If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. What, what is the test going to be? How are we going to test what's being said? Look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. First John 4, 1. Obviously, same context. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. How are you going to know? How are you going to know? How are you going to try the spirits? Well, do they agree with this? So if Satan was going to undermine the truth, if Satan wanted to introduce false teaching into the world, what's the best way to do that? Shatter people's confidence in the gauge. Shatter people's confidence in the rule that everything else would be tested by. You shatter people's confidence in this. How how do I know what it really means? How, how, How do I know? Then you can't test the spirits. And then we end up with Christianity like we have it today. Are you saying you're the only ones that are right? Do you really believe that you're right? I've had people ask me that. Do you really believe that you're right? No, I'm convinced that I'm wrong on everything. How do you answer that question? Do you think, well, yeah, I'm right because God said it. I'm right where I agree with God. I'm wrong where I fail to communicate God's word accurately. But when I say what this says, I'm right. And if somebody disagrees with this, 
The converse is true. They are, let God be true and every man a liar. That's what the Bible says. But if people can't find the truth, there is a book, uh, Purpose Driven Life, and he quotes 25 different translations of the Bible. How, how would you ever know what the truth is? You have to trust Him. So we have to understand where the authority is. God has given us the truth about salvation. Modern translations are undermining the truth of salvation. Folks, we need to know where to stand on the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, so much for Your Word.